Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel and recommend the 10 comics you should be picking up this new comic book day. Or, like today, interview amazing comic creators. I'm your host, Dallas. And I'm Anne, and I'm also excited because today we have a very special guest with us. And if you would like to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Kelly Thompson. All right, pause That's for dramatic awesome effect, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we need a laugh track or something, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, I am the laugh track for the podcast. That's my job. Good, good. Perfect. Um, yeah, so Kelly, do you, for anyone that's listening to this that might not know you, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe some, some projects you've been on, maybe sure. some stuff that you're working sure, sure. on right now as an intro? Sure. Uh, I got my start, um, with, uh, Gem and the Holograms. That was my first book that came out from IDW. Um, I had actually done a graphic novel, Heart in a Box, uh, before that, but because they're so time consuming, it actually ended up coming up after we started Gem and the Holograms. Um, Gem was with the incredible Sophie Campbell and it really launched my career. It was, um, a really great way to like kick open a lot of doors. I mean, within a few months of, that first gem issue coming out, I had a co-writing gig at Marvel um, that like was Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps with Kelly Sue DeConnick. And that sort of launched me into getting opportunities with Marvel. And so, you know, sort of a hodgepodge there for a while. And then I, um, I signed an exclusive with Marvel. So that meant lots more Marvel work, but I was still able to keep my toes in some other stuff. I did a Nancy Drew for Dynamite. I did Sabrina for... Archie. And um, yeah, I did Captain Marvel. I've done Deadpool. I did Mr. and Mrs. X and Rogue and Gambit. I got to do a co-write on an Uncanny X-Men run. Um, Black Widow and Captain Marvel are my current books. And I also am on the writing team for the new Spider-Man book. That is quite the bibliography. That is impressive. Very tired. (laughs) (laughs) I also just launched a big sub stack that doesn't really have comics yet, but we'll have some new creator-owned stuff that I'm really excited about. That is awesome, too. Thank you. Pretty excited. It's a little scary. (laughs) Creator-owned has a weird, you know, I always, I take my job very seriously, so I Mm -hmm. always am a little nervous about how people will react to something. But, you know, creator-owned definitely has a little even more stakes in the game kind of thing where you really feel sort of out there on your own in a way, you know, with things Mm -hmm. you've created as opposed to things you're just adding to, you know, that already have uh, billion dollar properties and millions of fans. <laughs> right. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Oh, well, um, the first thing um, that I wanted to ask, just because it's kind of the season for it, we've just been kind of wondering, um, October, have you been doing anything kind of spooky? Do you have any like spooky traditions or anything that you have to watch every time Halloween comes around <laughs> or is it just not really for you? No, I actually, I do love Halloween. I think, um, first of all, our neighbors have the most incredible, they have these Beetlejuice um, inflatables. They're huge in their yard. They're incredible. So like, even if I get out some of the cute pumpkins, I feel like we're not doing enough because we're never going to be these neighbors. Um, (laughs) But I love Halloween. I think I have a weird relationship with horror where I'm really into it except for sometimes it makes me feel bad 
sometimes <laughs> it just feels a lot of darkness. Um, yeah. I I think I I'm I, I've never said this before, so maybe I'm lying, but I feel like at this point in my life, I enjoy horror that isn't that dark. Um, that has like a campy edge or that has a humorous edge to it. Um, you know, like for example, Hereditary, that's mm -hmm. a brilliant, terrifying movie. And I loved it. And if you asked me if it was a good film, I'd say it was like a five out of five star film, but I don't know if I ever want to watch it again. Like oh, yeah. it was deeply upsetting to me <laughs> on many <laughs> levels. Um, you know, I feel a little bit the same way about the witch. Maybe it's just maybe it's just that one director has got tapped right into <laughs> things that are very wrong that I feel are very wrong. Um, so I'm a I'm a mixed bag. I know I know a lot of people who are all in, and I feel like I'm like one leg in. I love it. I love it more than my mom, but I, I I'm at a point in my life where life is scary enough. I don't need it to be that dark, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I completely get it. I'm like right there with you. I gave up on horror a long time ago in high school, like a long time ago. It was, but, um, <laughs> it's just, I was so tired of like the dark endings, but then I got introduced to like these stories that got really creative. I really like the stories where it's like the monster is something completely new and I haven't seen before. Yes. And that like originality of it. Yes. And also that like campiness you were talking about. Have you seen happy death day? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. That's, that's the type <laughs> of horror I'm living for right now, because I completely agree. There was a point a couple of years ago where I'm just like, life is too scary right now. I'm yeah. done with horror for a little while. So yeah, my uh, boyfriend and I wrote a script that's a horror comedy script. Mm -hmm. And first of all, don't try to write one of those. It's so hard. It's so, <laughs> so hard to find the balance between those mm -hmm. things. And we watched a ton of them uh, to try and see like what works, what doesn't work, how far can you push it? Like, are, are people not doing enough? And uh, Happy Death Day was definitely one of the stronger entries. I, I feel like it leans more to horror than comedy, but it does mm -hmm. have that like biting commentary edge that sort of lightens it up a little bit for sure. Right. I like that. I feel like that's an element of a lot of your your personal writing actually as well. I always feel like Kelly Thompson books are great and they're always funny, even if they're not necessarily <laughs> pitched as a comedy. I, do you feel I, like humor brings a lot to a script? I do. I do. I was just talking uh, the other day. I really feel like humor is a really gate, a, a gateway drug. I think if you're reading something and it makes you genuinely laugh, uh, it you're like, oh, oh, I like this. Like, it's so hard to get a laugh out of someone the same way it's so hard to get a tear out of someone. And so I feel like getting that is, I don't know, some kind of some kind of wonderful indicator that you're dialed in to that person who's reading, right? Like they're having mm -hmm. a response to what you're doing. Um, so I really, yeah, for sure. I like that. Um, <laughs> well, so... one, of, one of the things I was talking about was that uh, Wonder Woman for me was a character that took me a mm -hmm. while to fall in love with. And even some of my favorite writers, like Rucka's incredible Wonder Woman run, mm -hmm. um, just left me a little cold. And I, it was when I read Gail Simone's run that's really got a warmth and a sense of humor to it that really opened the character up to me, up for me so much so that I not only became a huge Wonder Woman fan, but when I went back and reread stories like Rucka's stories, 
they they completely were recontextualized. I loved them when I reread mm-hmm. them, and it was because I'd grown attached to the character. And so that's something I keep in mind all the time with my writing is to try to attach people really intensely to these characters. Um, because if you can do that, they'll they'll follow them on any sort of adventure. And sometimes they'll follow you, too. Yeah. And that's really good that that's like the way you approach this, especially like a character like Captain Marvel, who so oftentimes, if you look at social media, is just like reviled in some places for, you know, whatever reason you have. And sometimes when I'm like, you know, trying to get someone to read the series or get into the character, it's sometimes it, it feels like fighting. It feels like trying to fight like yes. the wind or something because it's just yes. like they don't want to hear it. But whenever I get someone to read like your book, they they feel that connection. And I'm oh, sure so that good. like your humor and that heart you bring to it has something to do with it. Thank you so much. I mean, it's definitely what we're trying to do. I think on Carol, it's true more than any other book I've ever done that she gets a bad rap for the most ridiculous reasons. Like, I mean, God, if we held other characters to task for stories we didn't like that they were in, I mean, the list would be so fucking long and, but Carol can't seem to shake it. And um, I really, I, I feel, I feel mixed about this because on the one hand, I feel like we've done a really good job um, mm-hmm. over 30 plus issues of sort of showing off how great she is. And like, I don't want to say rehabbing her image, but a little bit of that, right? Like bringing, mm-hmm. bringing the non-believers over. But I also resented a little bit that we had to do that because I do think it limits what I'm able to do with her story-wise, mm-hmm. having to constantly be a little bit worried about, well, I can't show her in a bad light because we worked so hard to get here, but that's a really Mm -hmm. limiting way to treat a character. And so while I think it's been a great run for her and I'm excited about some of the stuff we've still got coming, I, I, I do feel it limits her and that's too bad. Hopefully we've done enough that whoever comes after me will have to worry about that less and be able to take her in like really great directions. I mean, that when I look at the Carol run, that more than anything is like what I hope we've done, you know, is give Mm -hmm. her even more great stories than there already were and sort of rehabbed her a little bit from some of the stuff that didn't work and like set her up to like keep going, you know? Right. Perfect. That was like everything I wanted to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) I can definitely attest as, I wouldn't say as a non-believer, but just sort of uh, Carol agnostic before this run (laughs) i i picked up the book off of many a recommendation and the it feels like the beginning of something you know like i this is a character i'm now fond of i want to read more of and there's nothing better than picking up a comic like that sort of like you described with gail simone's wonder woman where a run just makes a character click Mm -hmm. um do you have any other favorite runs that feel like inform your work kelly um, another thing, I don't know if it, I would say it, it directly informs my work, but it's another one that I took a real lesson from that I try to keep in mind, both as a writer and as a fan, is that when Scott Snyder was doing Black Mirror um, years back, uh, Batman Black Mirror, mm-hmm. you know, that was with, I don't even remember how the solicits were and stuff. I just knew that uh, Dick was becoming Batman and I was not happy about it. I was like, <laughs> I love Dick. Dick's great. He's great as Nightwing. Why does he have to be Batman? Like, why are we doing this? Like I was very negative and very closed off to the idea. And 
it was an incredible listen in or a, an incredible lesson in shut up and let the work speak for itself. And if you still don't like it, then okay. But you know, at least mm-hmm. give it a try. Keep an open mind. Black Mirror is one of my favorite books. I love Dick in the bat suit. I, I had no idea I would respond so much to him. I, I don't think he should be in the suit instead of Bruce. I love Bruce too, but why does it have to be just one? Like it was a really great moment for me in learning to keep an ohm of mind, both as a writer and a fan. And uh, it's to this day, still one of my favorite Batman runs. That is such a great point. I think all of us have had that moment where we like come to terms with like mantles and like the, the ideas we don't want, where we actually give something a chance. Yeah. So I remember like when I picked up all new Wolverine for the first time, I didn't expect for it to become one of my favorite series of all time, but look where we are now it is one of sure. my top 10 it is incredible Tom, tom's tom stuff and then also mm-hmm. mariko's or yeah yeah incredible tom is such an incredible writer yeah. and uh what he was doing that with david lopez what mm-hmm. a slam dunk i love yeah that. gosh so perfect great. team i was yeah, just I saw- looking i was just looking the other day at that great deadpool scene when the <laughs> With him and Gabby, and the, the, it's a zombie, and, it's, and the, oh, it's slow, it's a sloth zombie, it's so good, so good. Oh, that's one of the panels that shows up like ev- like once a month, and you just have to retweet it, because you're yeah. like, it just brings me joy. <laughs> totally. And, and speaking, I saw you got to read a copy of Tom's upcoming um, Dark Knights yes. story, I'm so jealous. You guys, <laughs> I loved it so much. I mean, listen, I am... I'm definitely biased because not only am I a super Tom Taylor fan, he does very little that isn't like directly injected into my veins, please. Um, (laughs) So I was already biased. And then on top of that, I'm a really big fan of alternate reality stories where we get to see Mm -hmm. beloved characters Mm -hmm. sort of recast in a new light, new relationships, new dynamics. I fucking love that shit. So uh, (laughs) this was a, this was a home run for me. I will tell you in like the opening maybe it's already out there in previews. I won't spoil it in case it's not, but there's a turn in the front in the first like five or six pages Mm -hmm. that like flips everything on its head in like such a subtle, smart way. Like it's just totally, I completely didn't expect it. And it's just like a really small little tweak that changes everything. And very clever, very clever. Nice. Yeah. (sighs) So, you got your start doing like Gem and the Holograms and the um, one graphic novel, and then you got into Marvel um, and your career kind of took off from there. What made you decide like when you first started that like, this is where I want to go. This is the career that I want. Why pick comics specifically? I just, I mean, I, when I found, you know, I had read Archie Digest when I was a kid, when Mm -hmm. I was little, little, but it was like many people of a certain age, it was through uh, the X-Men animated series that I sort of found comics and, and not just, on began to understand them you know when I was reading Archie Digest they were something I'd beg my mom for at the grocery store checkout they weren't it wasn't like in a shop I didn't know there were all these books I didn't know they were they came out once a month and you could get a a hold and people would hold them for you and then you'd pick like it was a whole community you know and I didn't know it was all of that and so when I found it as a teen it was like sort of a game changer but I had always wanted to be a writer and basically back to when I can remember. And I liked art. I liked to draw a lot, but I wasn't great about it. You know, I wasn't, and I couldn't like see myself as a painter or anything. And when I discovered comics, that merging 
of images and words that looked like it. And I was still naive enough as a teen to be like, maybe I could be an artist. No, the answer is no. <laughs> but it definitely, when I found it, I was like, this is it. I found it. This is the thing, which, you know, you don't realize until you see other people go their whole lives without finding that thing that they love and that they know they can do, you know, you don't realize how lucky you are like to have found that at 15 years old and known for sure. That's what I wanted is very lucky, very fortunate. It doesn't mean it's easy to get there, but at least you know what you're <laughs> aiming for from, right. from right from go, you know, it's better to have that destination in mind. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, my brother, uh, my brother, David, he's my youngest brother, you know, he's in his 30s and he doesn't know why he doesn't have anything like that. And he has an incredible life that's in many ways superior to mine. He travels more. He does all this stuff, but he doesn't care about his job. Like, it's just a thing that he does to pass the time. And I'm just very lucky in that regard, you know. Definitely. So with this very cool job that you have, when you you come to a new project, what does that process look like? Do you feel like story usually comes first, themes, characters, or is it unique for every project? I think it's probably a bit unique for every project, especially because it changes a bit for you as you move through the process. You know, it's like mm -hmm. when you're doing Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps with Kelly Sue DeConnick, there's a very clear directive. The plotting isn't even coming for you. You're here to provide this service and you're slotting in. And in that case, it was even more unique because it was my first book with Marvel. So a lot of it was just learning experience. But, you know, like the next thing they brought to me was a Thunderbolts, like a YA Thunderbolts book. Mm -hmm. And um, that ended up not happening. Um, and so that was, God, that was months of pitching and revising and going back and tweaking characters and all this stuff. And then it didn't even happen it was like they pulled the plug and I got handed x-force or I'm sorry a-force um and you know it's but then with Black Widow you know I had pitched a Black Widow at two years before um and I guess it just wasn't the right time or whatever because it was the same pitch that I ended up giving to Sarah Brunstad for this run Mm -hmm. And so two years after that sort of didn't go anywhere. And listen, I was doing tons of Marvel stuff. So it wasn't they didn't like me or they didn't want to do it with me. It just didn't fit, you know. And then about two years after I'd submitted that pitch, my editor on Captain Marvel, Sarah, came to me and she was like, OK, we're going to do a new Black Widow. And I was like, yes. I was like, I've been trying to get my hands on Black Widow for years. <laughs> Let's do it. I was like, but I don't want to do anything Red Room. I was like, so you got to know that. I was like, I mean, it's an important part of her history and mm -hmm. we should touch on that. It should be integral to who she is. But we've seen too many Red Room stories. I'm over it. Like, let's move on mm -hmm. in a different direction. Here's the pitch. And Sarah was like, yes, I agree 100%. Let's do it. And so, and here we are winning an Eisner. It's crazy. So <laughs> that, must feel so, that must feel so cool to take a awesome. character in a unique direction and see that received so well it was awesome it was also you know i there was a real risk that none of us really talked about but maybe some of us were thinking about i know i was which is 
you know, doing a brainwashing story with a female character is really tricky because we're, mm-hmm. we're at a point where we're not super into that as people. We're like, this is a lot of problems. <laughs> this is problematic. <laughs> um, and so I, I knew that we were telling the risk there, but I really wanted to subvert some of those things and like sh- show a sort of more feminist angle on it and like really mm-hmm. get inside her and let her have that experience and like see how it changed her you know really talking a little bit about the complexities of what's it like when you've been manipulated into something and you're so angry about that but it also ended up being a beautiful experience that changed you Mm -hmm. and the the incredibly conflicting emotions that must come with that so uh, you know, those were sort of the things we set out to do. And I'm just really glad people responded to it and understood what we were trying to do with the character. Right. Yeah. And that's def- it's definitely a series that by the end of the year, I'm going to be talking about as like one of my favorite things I've read this year just for that first volume alone. Because like you, you, you know, you talk about how poorly those brainwashing stories often go for female characters. And I think the thing that really set this was apart was the part that you said, you know, she grows from it. It's not just too bring her down it's actually she changes in it and it's actually probably the most beautiful story arc I've read this year it's just incredible thank you so much you know there was a really obvious place to go after we finished and it was Mm -hmm. for her to go on like a revenge tour you know and try to kill everyone and you know Sarah had asked me you know because when we were planning it we're like we might only get these five issues I was like I hope we get more because I have a really clear idea about how I want to take her what direction but I didn't, I wasn't trying to get too attached to it because we didn't know if we'd get more. And so when we were going along and it was looking good and Marvel was really happy with the book, Sarah said, she's like, so what are you thinking? And I was like, well, it's not the revenge story you expect. And she's like, good. And I was like, yeah, I want her to be fighting against that instinct and trying to like be a better person who's more interested in helping others to avoid these kind of things she's been through than to, you know go off and get some good old fashioned revenge. Not that she doesn't want it, but that she's going to resist that instinct. And I think it pushed her in a really interesting place. I mean, Lucy Mm -hmm. is clearly there as a sort of stand in for a little bit for Stevie, someone she can protect, someone she's trying to protect from this life. Um, You know, so we tried to, we knew we weren't going to be able to keep her with that family. It wasn't going to work. So what does that look like? And uh, yeah, it was really, it was really fun to play with. I'm really proud of the book. We have an incredible team. Um, I mean, it's (laughs) try not to get too upset about it, but you know, it very, I find it, I'm very grateful to have the Eisner. I can't really tell you how much it means to me. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure that these are decisions that many people have their hands in, but it pains me that only Elena and I get statues for that because Jordy in particular in this case mm-hmm. oh, is yeah. a huge part of that team. Like I simply don't think you win an Eisner without Jordy Belair on that book. Like mm-hmm. she brought so much to it and I don't really, it feels like, it feels like an injustice. It might be a small one in the world we're living in, but it feels like a bit of an injustice. So I don't know, maybe they'll, I thought about writing a letter or something just to let them know how I feel about, you know, trying to, at least with colorists. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who makes those decisions. Do the publishers mm-hmm. do it? Does the Eisner committee? I'm not sure, but uh, I couldn't have done it without the people involved in the book, like just flat out. It wouldn't be the book it is without them. Right. Yeah. 
it's such a beautiful ensemble that all comes together, you know? Yeah. I don't think, much like you said, I don't think a book becomes an Eisner without everyone firing on all cylinders. Exactly, so. exactly. Including Adam Hughes' cover artist doing some of mm -hmm. the best work of his career, which is an incredible career. So that's a bold thing to say. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the people who were a part of this, it was incredible. Um, you know, real labor of love. I love that. So with, we're kind of backloading a lot of our, our Captain Marvel and Spider-Man questions because they're two of our favorite <laughs> characters, but okay. um, Black Widow is a character that, at least to me, doesn't have as much baggage as, say, a Captain Marvel or a Spider-Man where people have so many expectations for how a run is going to go. Mm. Do you feel like that freedom was liberating or do you feel like it was almost too much to not know where to go with the character. I'm sorry, you cut out just a little bit. I'm sure it's my internet, not yours. But who who did you say is unlike Spider-Man? Oh, I said. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Black Widow is oh, yeah. is unlike them in that, at least for me, it doesn't seem like she has quite as clear of an identity that people expect from her. Yeah, um, I think she's not as popular character certainly as Captain Marvel and Spidey um and she's been allowed I actually think it's the reverse but in a weird way I think it's that she's been allowed to be a lot of different things because she's spy slash assassin slash superhero whereas Spider-Man Peter Parker is always the true blue hero Captain Marvel is pretty much always the true blue hero but Natasha has a freedom to sort of weave a little bit between especially superhero and spy, which are very different stories. And she sort of moves effortlessly between them. So I, I think you're right that she does have more freedom, but I, I sort of think it's, it's more just because she's been allowed that all this time that you're allowed to get away with sort of different stories for her. But I do think that was also partly why we wanted to come out so strong with a story that we'd, We'd seen those types of stories for her, but we hadn't seen one quite like this before. Like, I really wanted something that was going to fundamentally change her as a character, which is really hard to do, especially when you know you have to sort of put the toys back to a certain degree when you're done. And so this was the way I thought was the was the best way to, like, really make a mark on her as a character and, and push her forward without totally changing her and making her unrecognizable for fans, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. That makes complete sense. Um, but speaking about like the just like praise you've gotten for this series, there's another character before we get into Captain Marvel and uh, Spider-Man that we need to need to talk about, need to address, and that's <laughs> Jeff the Landshark. <laughs> we got it. How does that feel for you? Just to see like, especially with the the web comic coming out, how people have responded to this beautiful character, like the the epitome <laughs> of comics. It's it's been so fun. It's it's just so fun. I mean, the evolution of Jeff from, you know, the idea for him came because Stefano Caselli drew these incredible land sharks in the first issue of West Coast Avengers. These land sharks created by Brodock and in the background <laughs> of one of his panels, one of the sharks looks very concerned. And so I was like, all right, what if one of these sharks doesn't really want to be there and like, you know, has some sort of agency or whatever. And so I like crossed that concerned land shark 
made him smaller and cuter with my cats who is now freaking <laughs> out because he wants dinner. I'm sorry. One of them. Um, and that's where we ended up. And he's so fun to write because I sort of channel my grouchy cats into him. And then <laughs> it's just a fun concept because he's adorable and squishy and you want to love him, but he's also a motherfucking shark. Like <laughs> bite his leg off if he wants, like, you know, so it's really fun to play with uh, Guri Hiru. You know, we probably credit them a lot with this because in addition to drawing a perfect comic that, by the way, doesn't have words, so there's even more work on them. Um, you know, they were drawing him into tons of things as like in secret, like they did those heroes from home covers mm -hmm. that all had little Jeff cameos in them. They, they drew this incredible piece for I think it was a Tokyo Con that was an exhibition piece that had Jeff that people freaked out over. So they, they helped a lot with like building up his legacy and getting mm -hmm. people excited in almost like a where's Waldo kind of way for Jeff. And so now he's everywhere. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, when he eventually shows up on a movie screen, what are you going to do? I hope I'm going to cash a check. <laughs> uh, Me and too. Also, too. And also be really excited. <laughs> And also be really excited. I am a little worried. I mean, the obvious place for him to show up is Deadpool. And I actually think it'd be amazing to put a super cute Jeff in Deadpool. Yeah. But I'm pretty worried about him if he's there. I mean, <laughs> they are pretty, pretty comfortable killing characters over on the Deadpool uh, movies. So a little concerned about his health and well-being if he ends up mm -hmm. there. But it would be fun. That would be so uh, fun. Fortunately, I feel like Jeff falls under that, like the dog protection category where it's like, you cannot kill him. This is you not a John Wick movie. Do not awake I mean, the last director. <laughs> I know. Right. I know. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty protective. Um, and it does seem like he falls under that, but that's just when someone wants to mess with you. We did have at the summit a couple times, I made it very clear to the people in the room that Jeff was not allowed to be killed. And uh, it, I think I actually pushed it a little too far because, you know, you start out and people are like, we know Kelly, we love Jeff too, blah, blah, blah. But if you do it too much, people just want to, want to prove that they've got the power. So I may have gone too far. Uh, fortunately, he's a big hit on, uh, on the, on in the, uh, uh, Unfinity. That's not a thing. Uh, on the, on the new Marvel Unlimited, uh, is it Infinity? I want. I keep wanting to say yes. Xfinity because of the X Men Plus. <laughs> that's like a cable company, right? So, uh, the Infinity Comics. He's doing really well. So, I I think that'll buy him some protection. I hope. Good. And say Let's like see. they might have power, but Twitter has more power. If anyone touches Jeff, <laughs> they're done. Yeah, right. Uh, TikTok might riot as well, which would be great. We get those young TikTokers who can change the world. It seems. And the K-pop. Oh, we just need to get the K-pop fans too. <laughs> Then he's 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 bulletproof, right? I feel like the Venn diagram of K-pop fans and Jeff Landshark fans has got to be pretty close it's, to a circle, right? It's got to be close. It's got to be close. Yeah, because <laughs> the K-pop kids have good taste. What can you say? Exactly. It's perfect. And I they mean, like they like justice, just like Jeff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is Jeff a K-pop fan though? Can you confirm that for us? Yes, we'll confirm. Beautiful. Perfect. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Look at this Jeff, edition of the K-pop fans. <laughs> <laughs> <Land art. laughs>
I love it. And do you wanna do you wanna get to Captain Marvel? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> just to to kick off the Captain Marvel stuff, because I have to ask you brought up earlier how um, Carol Core was the first book that you really started with Marvel, and that's funny because it was the first book of yours I've ever read, and I had no idea. Oh, that's Cause funny. Because I, I was just following, you know, from Kelly Sue Duconic's run mm -hmm. at the time, and I was just following that in. I, I was at the point where it's like, I'm not really paying attention to the creator page, so I even noticed there was a co-writer on it. I'm just like, I'm just reading the comic. It's nice. And um, I have to ask, after so many years, how does it feel to come back to the character that, like, was your first one at Marvel? It was cool. It really felt like sort of coming home. It felt like where I was sort of supposed to be, even though when I think of Carol, she doesn't, her voice doesn't come super easily to me. I mean, it's certainly, it's, I'm in it at this point, so I can slip into it pretty well, but it was harder to find that voice than like a Kate Bishop or a Jessica Jones, which comes really naturally to me. Uh, even Spider-Man a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Jessica's got more, or I'm sorry, Carol's got more of a dad sense of humor like you know not actually <laughs> funny like it's funny because it's ridiculous you know mm -hmm. and she's got this sort of military background which is very foreign to me I mean I try to do my research and get things right but that's not what I that's not the place I come from mm -hmm. um she's probably a little I mean I think she's pretty progressive as as Captain Marvel I think you have to be but she's probably a little more conservative than some of the other characters not like in a Republican way but in like mm -hmm. you know the way she approaches problem solving and stuff like that and I, I think just a military mindset even affects some of that like how you approach problem solving and military strategy and mm -hmm. stuff so she wasn't always super foreign to me or she wasn't always super comfortable for me but it was exciting to come back, having gotten to write her in a little bit of an alternate reality sort of Elseworlds way, and then to write the real thing right at a time when she was becoming insanely popular was a thrill. It's terrifying also, but it was thrilling. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I like that. Um, something you mentioned earlier is that you love alternate reality stories. And that definitely has come through in this mm -hmm. Carol run. Do you have a favorite little world or situation you're able to throw Captain Marvel into? Well, you know, one of the problems with writing Carol is she's so goddamn powerful. So mm -hmm. you have to throw a lot at her for it to be a real challenge, or you mm -hmm. have to give her, you know, things she's fighting against that are hampering her ability to perform at her best. And so I think our run has been a pretty good mix of like people trying to hold her back and not be her full self, coupled with a few people who can really go toe to toe with her and who've tried to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm definitely more comfortable in a street level place. So something like that first arc where they're trapped in a bubble where time is moving much faster um, and letting her like build a whole army and her powers are pretty, I mean, we don't, we don't say they're fully diminished there, but they're definitely diminished a little bit because if Carol at full power, I feel like she would have been able to do more on that island and that everyone's sort of suffering some power dampening while they're there, um, which just gives you more time to tell the kind of story you want instead of her just, you know, I mean, when you've got a character can like throw people into the sun, like you got to you got to find ways to be able to draw out those stories you want to tell mm -hmm. with when you've got these huge obstacles because she doesn't have any obstacles. Right. Right. So that's really fun. Um, we took her to the, 
you know, the New World arc where that changed her a little bit. And even in the Star arc, um, you know, we definitely, we had her dealing with sort of power loss and trying to come back into her own. Um, another reason I like to play with that is just because it's a real theme for Carol in her life. And ironically, it's something she shares with Rogue, even though I'm sure neither of them would really admit it. Like, <laughs> this, is a, this is a theme both of them deal with, you know, is this power, the ebb and flow of power of people trying mm -hmm. to control you and to have that power for themselves. Um, so I'm really interested in those themes. I'm also really interested in, you know, sharing power and ideas of sisterhood, especially. So mm -hmm. I like to build up Carol's cast around her and stuff like that. So. Yeah, that's one of the things that I was going to mention, like the fact that you brought in Hazmat to someone like me, who is like one of the like 10 Avengers um, Academy fans out there. <laughs> that was really nice to see. Um, Hazmat's one of those like really special characters to me where it's like wherever she is, I'm just glad that she's there. I'm just glad that she's yeah. existing and she's not in the Hunger Games anymore, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, um, she's a great character. <laughs> yeah, there's and you bring up a really interesting point about trying to balance that you know, Carol's power. And I've seen it a lot before with writers, like they kind of solve that problem by saying, hey, let's have Carol punch this guy once and have the guy punch her back so hard that she's kind of gone through a little bit and that's how we solve it. But I really appreciate that you've had like a lot of different um, villains and characters who can stand toe to toe with her. And the battle isn't actually just like a one and done where she's just like out of there instantly. Like uh, it's just too powerful for it, man. Right. Like it's just not realistic like I mean listen we all have to do some suspension of disbelief right but mm -hmm. I still try my best to make it feel real you know to make yeah. you believe it otherwise you know we all stop and look up and realize we're reading a comic and you get torn completely out of what you're so invested in you know yeah and there's that that balance that you found really well where she's like on her toes, like she's captured by Ove and Enchantress, but then immediately the next issue, she does have that nice moment where she powers up with the power of Mjolnir, and that's really, really cool to see, and it's that good balance that keeps it interesting. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. Lee is so great. Um, you know, you, I was really worried, I, and people didn't really notice, or if they did, I didn't see them talking about it, but one of those issues in that new world, I think it's the penultimate issue, she's chained up for the whole freaking thing and she doesn't really get to do anything. Like we're, we're still getting her interior narration some, so it doesn't feel like she's completely out, but yeah, she's out of it. And mm -hmm. I feel like Lee completely tricked everyone because <laughs> it ends so strong with, with, with uh, Bridget, you know, sort of embracing her destiny and then mm -hmm. powering Carol. It felt like a huge issue, even though if you go back and look, Carol's chained up the whole time. She doesn't throw a single <laughs> punch. We get some of her observations. We get some of her planning. But yeah, I mean, she's really sort of sidelined mm -hmm. in that issue. And, you know, the good news is she comes out strong in the next issue and it's great. Mm -hmm. But um, it was real. It was a real credit to Lee that people sort of didn't notice that that we did that. And because when we mm -hmm. finished that issue, I was like, holy crap, people might be mad. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, this is maybe not going to go well. And then I was like, but I don't know, that ending is so strong. And yeah, people love the ending so much that yeah. they didn't seem to take issue with it. So it's good. <laughs> yeah. No, insert Thanos right here. Perfectly balanced as all things should be. <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, I guess what, listening to you talk, it really made it click for me. I've been telling everybody that this Captain Marvel run is my favorite, just like good old superhero comic, basically. Mm -hmm. 
like you just read this and it feels like superheroes. And I think it is because there can be a whole issue where Carol doesn't throw hands. She doesn't use her fists and mm -hmm. it still feels epic in scale. Mm -hmm. Right. That's and good. I think, I think a lot of it comes down to your character interactions that you write. And one of my favorite trends in both Black Widow and Captain Marvel is you sneakily turning it into a team book, no matter what's going on. And, yeah. Uh, I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. What do you think is important about having a strong supporting cast, even in a solo book? So I think there's two, I, I think, I think the funny thing is if you look at Captain Marvel and Black Widow right now, the two main books I'm writing, you can see that I definitely did that for both of them. I created these sort of teams so that they're even more so Black Widow than Captain Marvel. But I think I did it for different reasons in each book, but the net result is the same, right? So in Captain Marvel, you know, when we inherited the book, she'd been in space, she was in the Alpha Flight, she was bouncing around a lot of planets, and that stuff's all cool. It's all important to the Carol Danvers personality and power set. She's a cosmic hero. She loves to be up. But I personally, even though I loved many of those stories, felt a little disconnected from her. And I felt like part of that was because she doesn't feel of Earth anymore. And like when I read a great Wonder Woman story, for example, part of what feels powerful about it is her trying to help people and her being a person that people think they know, that people think is a hero that people are aware of. And so Carol being gone all this time off planet, I felt like she really needed something to anchor her here. Part of the way we did that was by building a strong fan, uh, a strong supporting cast for her. Hazmat, she's taking a young hero under her wing. Tony, she's back to, you know, trading barbs with him all the time, mostly insulting him and him being charming about it anyway. Uh, Rhodey getting that relationship back together, her best friend Jess. Like, it was important to put all those things that were already part of her and, like, anchor them back down and give her a reason to be there and a reason to be in New York. And uh, and then a little bit down the run, we gave her her sort of hideout, which I love it, but we don't get to use it enough because it's not in New York, but it still made sense for us to put it there. So it is what it is. But um, on Black Widow, on the other hand, the reason I built her a supporting cast was because I wanted her to, for the first time, not be pushing everyone away. She's knowing she needs to grow and change and that she's struggling with these things she's going through. And so her allowing Yelena to be around is a big step for her. Like for someone to be living in her space and like her consulting them and like working together, that's hard for her because even when she's on a team, she's still a sort of loner. She's still sort of off doing her own thing. I mean, you even see it in the movies, like what in Captain America Winter Soldier, that great that opening action scene she's off doing her own mission in the middle of the mission like that's her role right so I wanted to take that ability away from her a little bit because of what she was going through and and recognize that it was important that she have these people around her having her both reaching out to Lucy and trying to help her in a little bit of a 
this is a child who needs my help kind of thing, or this is a younger person who needs my help. And then even having her reach out to Anya as someone that, you know, she, she could be useful to this thing I'm building. It was just important to, to build that cast. So I did it for different reasons for both of them, but the net result is the same. I think that they end up with their sort of found families, which I think a lot of readers respond to that stuff. I know I do. Um, misfits finding each other is powerful. You know, the X-Men don't own it. They, they can pretend they do, but they don't. It belongs to all of us. <laughs> and so speaking of misfits, how do you like pick these side characters? Because, you know, like Hazmat and Anya, they're just like, you know, like C-list characters that have only appeared in like these smaller, smaller series that a lot of people don't know. Do you just have like a, a hat full of awesome <laughs> characters that need their time in the sun or... There has um, to be a spreadsheet, right? There has of to be a spreadsheet. Of listing how many times I've been there. He's picked the bottom <laughs> tier. I'm not that organized. Um, what I look for <laughs> is characters that I think are really interesting. Bonus if they've got great costumes, which in the case of Anya and Hazmat are both true. Um, I'm also, whenever, I'm looking for characters that I feel like are could really pop or should have already popped but that clearly need more love, like need to, need more eyes on them. Um, in Anya and um, uh, Hazmat and Jennifer Hazmat, especially, I thought both of them are so great and they've really shown in different stories, but you know, it just feels like if someone doesn't come along and put them in something, like they will just be sort of lost. And mm -hmm. in both cases also, I would say I'm always trying to diversify my books if I can. So if there are some characters of color that are in these positions, mm -hmm. that's even better. Um, and then Lucy, you know, I, a couple of people asked me why we didn't just use Red Widow uh, instead of Lucy. And it was because I needed I needed to deal with this power stuff and 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 draw some parallels between things happening with Lucy and things happening with with Widow, you know, mm -hmm. having been manipulated and used against your will, but then trying to do something positive, you know, all of those themes. And I couldn't just pick up Red Widow and try to retrofit that. I thought it was more powerful if we created something new uh, and 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 drew those parallels out in that way. Um, but yeah, so. I'm just looking for cool characters that are underused or that need another shot. And if they can be diverse, that's better, you know? Perfect. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, that's clearly all. Clearly it's working for us. <laughs> it's very much so. I wish we had so many more characters like that. Oh, so many characters that just don't get used. I'm so glad that you're using them. Yeah, it bums me out when we see people get lost. I mean, that was the whole thing. I don't know if you guys saw the Deadpool stuff, but when Gwenpool hands... Jeff off yes. to, to, to Deadpool. I mean, that's about her understanding the world she's living in and that it's easy to get lost, you know, in the mm -hmm. marquee books. And I think it happens to a lot of great characters. So it's particularly right. egregious on X-Men just because we go through these periods where people make a lot of really cool new ones and there are just mm -hmm. way too many. And then, and then they end up on the floor, you know, it sucks. There definitely seems to be a, you're not a Claremont curse that a lot of characters <laughs> fall into you know a little bit I mean yeah it's hard listen it's hard it's a hard balance because mm -hmm. you know every 
every book I get asked to write, except for the occasional, you know, Deadpool that gets thrown in there. And now Spider-Man, it's like, it's a white woman. And that's a good fit for me. I'm a white woman. It makes sense, Mm -hmm. but it's limiting. And so if I can do small things in my power to like grow it a little bit, then, you know, try my best. I did the same thing on Kate with Hawkeye. Um, you know, giving her a supporting cast of some people with powers, some people without, hopefully more diverse, you know, just to mm-hmm. try to build it out. I like that. Um, so maybe using that as a transition, how has working on Spider-Man been going and how is that different than other projects you've worked on being a part of this writer's room? It's very different. Um, it's the thing that's closest to, I guess, is Uncanny X-Men when I did that with Matt Rosenberg and Ed Brisson, but it's very different than that. The relationships are different. There's five, how many of us are there? I can't count. Yeah, there's five of us, whereas that was three. Um, this is a 19 part story instead of a 10 part story. So there's a lot more complexity. I also, you know, on on Kenny X-Men it was a more sort of equal split I mean nobody was sort of in charge we were sharing we were job sharing that Zeb Wells is very much in charge on Spider-Man he's an incredibly benevolent uh, leader so he doesn't let that go to his head he doesn't throw that weight around it's great but he does have a lot more responsibility on himself to sort of run the outlines and like make the final decisions and stuff. Um, but it's been incredible. We've had a couple mini summits um, on zoom because of pandemic. And I just feel like it's one of those cases where having more people in the room, it, it just completely benefits the story. Like you just end mm-hmm. up with a lot more viewpoints, a lot more people um, bringing up potential issues and also great solutions for those issues um, it was also really beneficial for us. You you often don't get to have an artist in the room. Um, Pat was there as both writer and artist. And, you know, I don't think anyone's trying to keep artists out of the game or anything. I think it's just a practicality thing where writers can write more projects at the same time and stay on them longer because they don't have the, the same time constraints that artists have to deal with. Um, but for us, it was incredibly beneficial, I think, to have Pat in that room Um sort of looking at it from a different angle, you know, it made all of us stronger. Like, you know, you come up with an idea and then he'd like go, Oh, but what if it looked like this? And you're like, Oh, that's way better. Like, yes. You know? So it was a, it's been a really great experience so far. Well, good. It's, and it's one of those exciting things for us fans too. Cause I know this is the first time I've been like super excited for a Spider-Man run in like eight years. Cause I literally, the last issue I ever picked up was number 700 where Peter died. Oh. <laughs> so it's been a minute for me. And to just the fact that I ran out on Wednesday to go pick this up first thing says a lot <laughs> about like just how much this team like brings out. And I think I can feel that in the community. A lot of people feel like this is a good like step forward. And thinking about like the stories that all of you are telling, we, we both had the chance to read um, the issue and your story. And it was about Colleen Wig and um, Misty Knight. And I had to ask, is this going to be kind of like a 52 scenario where like all of you um, in the writer's room have different through lines that you'll be seeing through as this story progresses? Or do you all kind of share the the main story, if that makes sense? Sure. It's all shared. But I would say that we both we, we all brought 
things that we are more interested to the table. Now we brought it to the whole narrative. So like, I mean, you know, there was a point when we were talking about it and we were looking for some people who could come in and I, I can't, I can't give away, I can't give away some of this stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I think I was the one who brought up daughters of the dragon that they would be really good idea to use here. Um, we were very light on women in the story that weren't love interests, um, Mm -hmm. which is not my fave. So, you know, I certainly was pushing those ideas forward. I think another great example is, you know, it's, it's why it's puzzled me when I see people on Twitter being worried about Miles' role in all this. I'm like, Saladin is the Miles guy and he's in the room. You think he's not going to protect like the character and his legacy? Like even if the rest of us didn't care, which we do, uh, you've got the guy right there. Like he's going to make sure it's okay. (laughs) Um, But so, you know, I think there are, there are points in the story that like maybe there's a little more Misty and Colleen in my first two issues because I've brought that thread in and then other people are going to be carrying it along. And then I'm probably going to get to deal with closing it up toward the end kind of thing. Same thing for, you know, Saladin, there's a big miles piece of this that happens, you know, here and he'll get to be more, a bigger part of that. So like they, they, we were pretty good about bringing in other things people were interested in and tying it into the whole thing, letting people, who felt they had a particularly good idea for those kind of things, explore that in their issues. But it's still a thing that, yeah, someone else has to pick it up after you and carry it through so it'll be seamless. So I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, which would be a much shorter way to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) We certainly like the long answer. Yes, (laughs) the long answers are good. I guess my my big question for you is what do you feel like makes a great Spider-Man comic? I think I think you have to feel Peter and I think it's true that you have to feel Ben too um because as you guys I'm sure get from that opening issue is that while Ben and Peter aren't the same they're a lot the same. I mean, this is not just a clone of a person's body. This is memories. He has all those same memories that Peter has Mm -hmm. that makes Peter be a hero. And so Ben has all those same instincts. He has a lot of really gross other traumas that happen to him that are different than Peter's, but Peter had all disgusting different traumas happen to him too. So, you know, they're so alike in so many ways. And so, I think for Peter or Ben, you have to feel that guy behind the mask. You have to feel that screw up who, no matter how badly things are going for him personally, still cares, doesn't give up, does the right thing. That's, it's just ingrained in it, right? And I think you also have to have humor. Like to me, (laughs) that's probably the thing when I read a Spider-Man comic that seems very very serious and doesn't have any levity in it it just feels foreign to me I'm like am I still reading Spider-Man because I feel like even in the darkest most serious stories there's still room for levity it's how we survive sometimes right it's how you get through all the horrible shit having a perspective on it you know oh yeah 100% that makes me very excited 
Oh, your mic, mic did that thing again? There's this fun thing where my mic decides to just get super loud every once in a while. It's not a it's not a poltergeist. It's cool. Oh, it totally is. My mic is 100% haunted. But... I don't know what I would do if I was a poltergeist, just go around and mess up people's podcasts. For sure. For sure. Trying to get I... the message out. There has to be a whole subspect. Subs sect of ghouls they're like we gotta mess up all these white dudes podcasts <laughs> like, we're doing we're podcast. doing god's work like they are that, but we're doing the right thing <laughs> wait a minute a vaguely nerdy podcast <laughs> mess up the white dudes mike <laughs> and honestly i can't blame them good for them <laughs> do the lord's work little ghoul <laughs> oh okay so we only have two more questions. Um, this next one is just kind of like my like inner Spidey fan. I just have to know. It's the one I, because like for me, the big part about Spidey was always the villains. I was always really into the villains. They were like what brought me into the character. I cared more about seeing them in the movies than I cared about seeing Peter. Like Peter's the same. He never changes. The villains are always different. They're always cool. So I have to ask like if what's the one Spidey villain that you would like kill to write? without giving spoilers for anything that might happen and beyond hmm yeah that's a little tricky because if i say someone if i say someone who's in it or not in it will people guess eh, eh, we'll leave it out um so you know i i first of all i have to say i think you're right that spidey has one of if not the best rogues mm -hmm. gallery at marvel comics like he's the only person that it feels like has a rogues gallery that can kind of rival Batman, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's been trying to build a good rogues gallery for Carol, I can tell you it's not easy. It's really frustrating. <laughs> it's really frustrating to find <laughs> iconic things. And, like, mm -hmm. you know, if you want them to be recurring and really feel like a nemesis for that character, you have to have time to bring them back in another story, but most runs aren't long enough for that to happen. Mm -hmm. So I've been very lucky that I'm getting to bring back Vox Supreme in a new story to help cement him as a villain for Carol and a little bit with Ove. I intended to go back to Nuclear Man. I don't know if that's going to happen now, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm not trying to dodge the question. I mean, I am a little bit. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. If you can't answer it, don't worry about it. I just that think be curious. it's a little bit, and this is this is one of the reasons I feel like it's a giveaway. If I say, I will, I will admit that a lot of characters, I don't really fall in love with them until I start writing them or start researching to write them. And that's true of villains too, although it's been more true for heroes. Um, but I mean, I sort of think the classics, I mean, Green Goblin, like, does it get better than that? I, I do love, I do love the lizard. Ah. I mean, you can admit the Fancy Dan and the Enforcers are the main villains of the story. <laughs> it's you clearly, can tell us that. It's, it's okay. clearly the it. UFOs. You read the issue. They're the villains. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> say, can we get confirmation the big wheel is coming back, please? <laughs> You know, it's funny you say this thing. I'm I'm very glad you like my work, especially after you've said this thing about villains, because villains are what I'm worst at. Um, I I I like really interesting villains, mm -hmm. like, and it's probably why I like antiheroes so much, like your Emma Frost and your Magnetos, who mm -hmm. were villainous but are incredibly complex. Like, I'm super into that. But you know, even when 
You guys are Buffy fans? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, you know, even like what season five is considered one of the best seasons, right? With glory. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I, 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 I took in every word the first time I saw it. Right. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's a great season, still a great season, but if I rewatch it, I don't give a shit about the glory scenes. Like just get me back, get me back to my beloved characters. Who's going to kiss who and who's going to make a joke and who's going to whatever. And I find that that's very true of my work is that unless I find a way to really integrate the villain directly into it, I tend to prefer them a little off to the side Often that takes the form of a mystery story like a Jessica Jones where we don't really know what's going on with the villain or it's something we're going to slowly reveal to the reader. And I don't really think that's a cop out, but I do think it ends up with me sometimes underdeveloping my villains and my stories. And it's a little bit of a trade off. Um, I do, I do think it's a weakness because I also believe the old adage that your hero is only as good as your villain. So you got to put in the work, you got to do it, but how much page time I want to spend with them talking about their plans or pontificating on their evilness or whatever is sort of minimal. And so <laughs> I've always struggled to find the balance with that. I still do um, about how much do I want to spend time with Carol and her friends and how much do I want to hear Vox talking about whatever stupid <laughs> thing he wants to talk about, right? <laughs> But it can it can end up creating underbaked uh, villains if you're not careful. So mm-hmm. it's something I watch out for. But I think I gotta go with the classic Green Goblin. I mean, right? Okay, yeah, that works. Who I'll, are I'll yours? Take it. Who are yours? Who? Look, My, you can't even answer it. I, I can't answer. It's just I'm scared to because it's so unique. My favorite is Morlan. I think that's how oh. you say his name. Yeah, because oh, wow. he's actually Ooh. yeah. Here's my first like comic villain that I. I had a Spider-Man visual dictionary and it's somewhere in this room actually. But as a kid, he was the one villain I read who wasn't in it. So he really interested me. Cause I'm like, I know all these villains. He's not one of them. Who is he? And then I read the comic and I find out, Oh, he's the guy that kills Spider-Man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, there's just something about that that just like clicked with me. And there's like, I wrote a little bit of it on my, my Patreon, just a blog about it. The horror of Morlon was something that really intrigued me. There's something just so yeah. unnerving about the guy who's hunting you to eat you. And there's nothing that you as a superhero can do about it. I'm not sure I should admit this in public, but cannibal stories fucking terrify me. Zombies too, which I didn't Mm -hmm. always connect that they're the same thing, but they are there. I mean, one's brainless and one's making Mm -hmm. a plan. Like they still want to eat you. I, I find that terrifying, but I also find the scene where the bear uh, tears apart the guy in the edge terrifying. So I think I just don't want to be eaten. Uh, which you know is fair, fair, fair yeah. right, mm-hmm. right. But but I'm with you that that's a particularly terrifying angle for a villain. Mm-hmm. Like that's very Hannibal Dark, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I have to put one out there for my boy Shocker. Uh, basically, oh, the more good. stupid the okay. villain is, is <laughs> it brings it close to my heart. Like when I said Fancy Dan, I meant that. When I read anything <laughs> he pops up in, I'm like. This little dude. I love you so much, you stupid little guy. That's awesome. And, like, there are so many good villains that, for me, the silly ones almost stand out more. Yeah. You know? Well, Shock, Shocker's and so also got a great design, too. It's great. Oh, yeah. He does. It's the coolest costume ever. Yeah. Like, yeah. wrap a man in quilts and give him vibrating gloves. Come on. <laughs> Forget about it. Forget about it. That's amazing. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. A-plus character design. 
Come on. <laughs> Goblin in a purple hat? No way. Quilted man. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair okay, enough. Pull me over it. Fine. <laughs> yeah, there you have it, everyone. Put more lawn in a quilt <laughs> and call it a day. Exactly. Take your favorite villain, put him in a quilted costume. It's a better version. Beautiful. It would have made that Joker movie more Quilting, my speed if yes. they Quilting. put him in a quilted outfit. Quilting makes everything better. It's no, it's no lies detected. And that is it the quote does. of the day. Thank you. <laughs> I actually lived right next to Quilt Town, USA in Missouri. No way. Uh, Hamilton, Missouri. It's a town of 3,000 people that's like quilting Mecca. There would be busloads of old women that would come in just to quilt for weeks. It wild. was a wild place. Gosh, they, they, they do move in herds. And I was just with my people. I feel like I've been an old woman my whole life. I was like, oh, Gladys, tell me about the squares. I'll tell you about Shocker. <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> All right. All right. Last question actually comes from a listener to the show. Uh, thank you to everybody that wrote in. We we appreciate it. And this one seems to capture a lot of what people were asking. Okay. Uh, Juni Mauricio says, hello, everyone. I have two questions for the podcast with Kelly Thompson. Uh, so to Kelly, do you have a favorite Spidey supporting character? And why are they your favorite? And is writing for a character who tends to work on a cosmic scale like Carol challenging? I think I already answered the second one. Yes, yeah. it's extremely hard. Yes. Um, supporting character. Hmm. There's so much to choose from with Peter. You know, he's got like such a strong supporting cast and it's been around for so long. I, I think, I can't believe I'm going to say this. This is sort of scandalous and maybe Black Cat fans won't like her be calling a supporting cast, but I love Black Cat. She's great. She's great. She listen, I'm not I'm no I'm no MJ hater. I'm not here for breaking that up, but I think that she's interesting with Peter in a way and it doesn't have to be romantically um that just the page just sort of comes alive with them, you know, mm -hmm. in a really fun way. I, I know some people aren't going to appreciate that cuz I know the the MJ love is like very rampant and strong. I'm not saying they should break up. I'm just saying it's a pairing I like. It's a, it reminds me a little bit to make everything about me. Um you know, we did Carol and Doctor Strange very briefly as just like a sort of one night stand thing and it was never my intention for that, for people to get so into that, my mistake. We shouldn't have put David Lopez on that. She was too good, too good. Um, but you know, they're not to me a good couple, but to write them is really fun because they're sort of oil and water together, and that creates a lot of interesting opportunities that are not necessarily created by. Carol and Rhodey agreeing about everything because they come from a military background and, you know, he, you know, is a good supportive boyfriend. That's great stuff. It's beautiful stuff. I love it. It doesn't necessarily crackle on the page. Her and Strange arguing and trying to not sleep together and then doing it, I, you know, it's, it's fun. It's really fun. So I think that maybe that's what I respond to a little bit in Peter and Black Cat is it's, they're fun together. They bring out interesting things. What about you guys? Ooh. Um, See? I'm it's a hard. It's hard when the tables are turned. Exactly. Oh, how the turntables. <laughs> um, 
I mean, the obvious, I love J.J. Jonah Jameson, but that's an easy answer. So I've always been a big Betty Brant defender. I think she mm. needs some justice. I that's, I that actually really, true. yeah, I really actually like her in that Ditko run a decent amount. I mean, obviously it was written in the 60s, so it's not, not perfect. But I would yeah. love to see that sort of very thoughtful character brought forward and given a little bit more agency. That's cool. That's cool. I just took a very panicked look around my room for that visual dictionary. It did not show up. It did not magically appear in my hands. Um, is it a cop-out to say J. Jonah Jameson? Because I still have that um, issue of um, Friendly Neighborhood that... Um, Chipped it. Dars- yeah. Yeah. Where- That's what I was going to ask if you guys yeah. loved that. It was incredible, right? It was right? so oh good. God. It was so yes. good. Yeah. Chip is the best. Don't he tell is. him. Wait, His head's, never. His head's already too large. We just keep it between us. Never. His <laughs> he and Fraction's plan with pulling the slip cover off of sex criminals caught mm-hmm. me unaware on the train the other day. <laughs> I was not aware that I would be reading how to euthanize your pet. So <laughs> no no kind words for those two. Oh, it's okay. That's He'll funny. have no idea. We're just gonna post this and tag him in it and say open for a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll put it at the hour and ten minute mark. Be like, all right, Chip, find yourself. <laughs> Not in the show notes. Oh, oh I love it. Well, Kelly, this has been so so fun. Yes. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Are there any projects that you want to plug, or maybe? your Substack that you want yeah, to yeah i think i probably should plug that we've talked all marvel so i should say i'm doing a new Substack. people should come over there i'm going to be putting up some incredible creator-owned comics the first one's called black cloak it's with my former collaborator meredith mclaren it's a sort of a classic detective story but set in like a weird sci-fi fantasy world so um you know there's like mermaids and shit uh it's really fun uh it's really dark it's sort of neo-noir blade runnery in a fun way i hope um and meredith is incredible and i'm also doing um it'll be in 2022 sometime so it's a while out but um with maddie adelius um my jessica jones collaborator we're doing a book called the cull which is sort of like a more adult Goonies where some kids on the summer after they graduate from high school go out to this sort of famous forbidden rock near their coastal hometown um, to shoot a movie and then uh, things go wrong for them. Um, I'm very excited about these two projects. But the other thing I would say about the Soapsec is and the reason to join up, I mean, yes, it's for the comics. I take making comics very seriously. I think they will be good comics that are well worth your time and money. But it's also a little bit about building a community, seeing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff of like how stuff gets made and why, why you make certain choices. Um, at, we're showing the successes, but I think we'll also show some of the failures. And, you know, we, I, I just did a big process post about this really cool first page from Black Cloak and how we almost did this really mediocre version of it because we were just like yeah it looks great and we sort of moved on and then we ended up coming back in to talk about all these color choices and it really just leveled it up and it was awesome and uh so yeah come on come on over it's 1979semifinalist.substack.com i think it's the first time i'm giving it out so i don't know (laughs) perfect 
Well, awesome. you had me at mermaids, so yes. You had me at Goonies, so. <laughs> as long as I have you both. <laughs> Two types of people. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, yeah, again, thank you so much. We won't take any more of your evening, um, but to anyone that listened to this and liked it, and if you haven't checked out our regular weekly show, make sure to tune in this Wednesday to hear us talk a little bit a little bit about Lock and Key as we continue our month of horror. Ooh, I uh, got three volumes to get through in one day. I can do it. It's fine. Hey, same. You We're both very it. responsible. <laughs> Good luck, guys. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks for All having right. me on. I'll talk to you later. No All problem. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.